Well, greetings. This is February the 15th, 2020, and this is the Obliquity Podcast number four. The title of today's podcast is going to be Unity or Disunity. So since the new president has been inaugurated, uh, President Joe Biden has gotten involved into a lot of presidential orders, presidential executive actions, and the like. And you know, as I was listening and watching the uh, inauguration, his inauguration speech, you know, he sounded reasonable and uh, somewhat coherent. Um, and I will say up front, I think that the right has um, unfairly um, tried to um, make him out to be a bumbling idiot. Or a bumbling fool. Now, do I think he that, that doesn't mean he doesn't act foolishly at times. It doesn't mean he isn't incoherent from time to time. Um, apparently, he has a uh, has had a speech impediment, uh, some sort of stuttering, and so you know that's part of the par for the course, especially when people are tired, like when he was during the campaign, uh, extremely tired, constantly asking questions. I mean, the man is in his seventies, late seventies. I think he's seventy six. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's bound to be times where you're not going to be on your uh, best uh, foot when you're doing speeches. And so, sure, he's going to forget parts of his speeches and he's going to say things that he regrets later and he suffers the consequences for those ultimately. But, um, you know, he gets made out to be this huge uh, bumbling fool. And I don't necessarily think that that is a uh, proper uh, characterization of uh, of him, but at the same time, yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, Joe Biden either. Um, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things, but one of the things that I did appreciate about his speech was that he was calling for unity. Now, the problem with uh, one person, the president, calling for unity is that doesn't mean that the rest of your party uh, has fallen in line with that. It doesn't mean that there are aren't ideologues who are interested in pushing their uh, one-sided agenda uh, on the American people or trying to get their way into politics. And I know the riot in the Capitol on January the 6th was a huge incitement uh, for many to try to go after President, uh, Pre former President uh, Trump. And also, um, but the problem is, is that I, as I see it, is that there is a breakdown there's a breakdown in the culture uh, around politics, and it really falls down into this idea of identity politics. You are either with us or you're against us. And, um, and sure, you can, find that, uh, you can find that breakdown in the scriptures um, when Moses uh, was with the children of Israel and, uh, you know, God said uh, to Moses, uh, was talking to them, and it says, uh, you're either for us or against us. And so I get that there. But if you go to the New Testament, you'll also find a kind of interesting paradigm where the apostles come to Jesus and says, hey, there's people casting out uh, demons and people healing people in your name. And we told them to stop because they weren't with us. They weren't in our camp. And Jesus simply says, look, if they're not against us, they must be for us. And, um, and you find even, again, a similar thing in the Apostle Paul's life when he talks about uh, people who are uh, preaching uh, the gospel and preaching Christianity uh, to others in the hopes of causing problems for 
uh, the, the Apostle Paul. And why is this a big deal? His reaction to that was this. He said, look, they're doing a job. They're doing, they're pursuing something that I want to have accomplished, and that is getting the gospel out to others. And so he said, whether they're doing it in t- sincerely or insincerely, either way, the gospel is going to be preached, and that's my goal. And so he had a very balanced view of how to approach this. And I think as we are looking into what's going to happen over the next four years, I mean, we're 45 days into uh, the new year. We are less than a month, I believe, from uh, the, in, in, into the new presidency by, of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. And what we find is that I think there's a huge bit of identity politics, and I think this is at odds with a Christian worldview and with Christian, uh, uh, what, we, what I would say would be Christian politics. And, uh, and I, I, sh- I don't like to use that term, Christian politics, because I think as Christians, um, Christians need to stand up for what is right, and at the same time, hopefully not, um, you know, not uh, have a position. You know, it's one thing to have a moral position that we believe firmly and that we're going to stand with, and it's another thing to have opinions that um, uh, can be somewhat flexible um, on on very on, on certain issues. When it comes to this identity politics, what we're having a breakdown of is we're having a breakdown of of, uh, of bipartisanship. And sure, in uh, you know President Biden at this point, former President uh, Clinton, I'm sorry, he's been a while ago that he's been president, but former President um, Trump has been acquitted by the Senate uh, for the charges of uh, for on impeachment charges. Uh, for inciting the riots uh, on January the 6th. And matter of fact, you know, as I was watching even part bits and pieces of the attorneys for uh, former President uh, Trump, they, you know, what they're saying and what they presented as their evidence, uh, if all of that is true and accurate, um, the left, the Democrats, and, uh, and not necessarily the left, but at least the Democratic Party, uh, is, is being incredibly dishonest. And they are trying to spin something, uh, spin President, uh, former President Trump's words um, in a way that is, uh, is not true. I don't know if anybody remembers, there was a movie back, I'm trying to think, it was in the mid-90s called Tango and Cash, had Sylvester Stallone, and can't remember the other guy, Kurt Russell maybe. Anyhow, in that movie, these are two cops, one was a very posh kind of upscale trying to be a banker type a detective that was the Sylvester Stallone's character and then the other character was more of a down and uh, dirty gritty kind of cop and they were working together on a case and end up that uh, near the end um, they were they were wrongfully accused of uh, and they were end up in jail and uh, based off some evidence and this evidence was manufactured evidence and somebody had gone through um, from various sound bites and interviews and recordings and had spliced together um, a, a, a such a naturally sounding and, and with voice modulation and so forth had spliced together such a beautiful um, and, and very damning piece of evidence that was totally manufactured. And it appears that that is what the Democrats have been trying to do with former president Trump's speeches and trying to uh, trying to to twist and to spin what he says, not giving full context and not giving full credit. Uh, you know, in, in the academic world, you 
although it's not exactly plagiarism, but when you are mischaracterizing and misrepresenting what somebody says, it's on the verge of a plagiarism. And how does the media get away with that? How does the de- how do the Democrats get away with it? I think that's very damaging to our democratic process and to the process of being able to promote, promote unity. And although the president, President Biden, wishes for p- political unity, I think it's really hard to achieve that when you have people in your own party. I mean, the, a good example is uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Andrea Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, she was not even at the Capitol building today, but yet she made it sound like she was at the Capitol building and has repeatedly lied about the process. And so all that to say that, you know, we've gotten a far way from good, basic morals and how to treat each other. In the first episode of this Obliquity uh, podcast, I talked about this idea of uh, agreeing to disagree. I'm sorry, not agreeing to disagree, but uh, learning to agree Uh, or disagree agreeably. And the thing is, you can disagree with someone, but don't misrepresent them. Don't mischaracterize them. Don't try to uh, try to put words into their mouths that they didn't say. You know, when I go back into uh, a Christian foundation, and as a Christian, I find that my whole life revolves around uh, the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, it says, always treat others as you would like them to treat you. That is the law and the prophets. Then you go on to two books later in the book of Luke in the chapter six. Now, both of these are uh, part of it is uh, the, the sermon on the, this is in the Sermon on the Mount and um, in Matthew. Uh, but it goes on there and says, but it says, um, love those who are against you. Do good to those who have hate for you. Uh, give blessing to those who give you curses. And this will join up with what I'm going to say here in just a minute. Um do to others as you would have them do to you. That is the golden rule. We are, you know, for a long time in America, in American culture, we have been, we have talked about this, promoted this idea of the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's found in two portions of scripture. And prior to the postmodernist uh, the postmodernism and so forth, America uh, in, the, in, in the early 20th century was firmly established as a country that had some sort of moral and biblical foundation, moral and Christian ethic that they balanced their lives on. And that had a huge effect. Now, was it perfect? No, it wasn't. Why? Well, you have imperfect people uh, living in an imperfect systems and having ways of thinking. And so it's wonderful to see a continuation of uh, of, of the ethic grow and be applied to people's life. The other problem is, is that you can have a person who's morally good and yet spiritually bankrupt. And, and that's not a topic for right now for this podcast, and that's a topic for another day. But I want to say that we've got to get back to this idea of treating others the way we wish to be treated. Now, you can go back all the way into slavery, and you can say, well, they must have been wanted to treat them. They, they treated the, the, the blacks so horribly through slavery, and I agree. It was absolutely wrong. And, and don't ever, you know, uh, come and say, well, the Bible condones slavery. I don't think you can find that it condones slavery as much as it was uh, trying to put rules on a system that was already in place and how to mod- moderate that thing. And I think that's going to be another topic for another day that we'll get into more deeply. But um, 
in the final, uh, in, when we look at this, we need to remember that we need to treat people the way we wish to be treated. And I don't think the Democrats and the left are being exactly honest. I think the right has its equally, equally, uh, is equally guilty of, uh, of being disingenuous uh, towards, the, uh, towards the left and towards the uh, Democrats the same way that the Democrats and the left are being disingenuous towards the right and towards the Republicans. Now, as we move on, you know, one of the things I found fascinating over the first few days of the presidential, uh, presidential term, uh, of Biden's presidential term, was the fact that uh, you saw prior to the election, or prior to the inauguration day, and even prior to the election, you saw the media, oh man, the media's disdain and hate, literal hate for former President Trump. Now, I want to say again, I'm not a big fan of Trump. I think there are some things he did good, and I think there's things he did horribly wrong. I think he there's a lot of things that uh, are not good, but at the same time, he was the president of the United States. The president's office is to be respected. And, uh, you know, when we went through President Clinton's term, when we went through President Barack Obama's term, you know, there's a certain you can disagree with the person and you can respect their office and recognizing that that person, that the office is more than just the person at that time holding that office. And sure, they can, they can cause problems. They can bring about, uh, you know, bad, uh, bad press as it were on the office of the presidency, but you know, that can change. Now, one of the things I found uh, as I was going through here is the, the favorite, the, the hate and the vitriol that the media projected at um, at uh, pre uh, former President Trump. Now you get on the uh, the right uh, the right side type of media like Fox News, and they were all praise about Trump and largely. Um, but now you have a total switch. You have the left who uh, the left. Uh, the left-wing media who tries to purport themselves as balanced and and fair and equitable in their dealings now they are uh, just uh, you know fawning over President Biden and I'm not saying you know that we should stack the deck against uh, the person who holds the office of the presidency but my word, it was virtually, almost virtually overnight, they go from casting vitriol to uh, former President Trump and then just fawning over all the things that uh, President, uh, President uh, um, Joe Biden uh, is doing. And I will say uh, the administration, uh, the uh, Biden administration seems to be a little sensitive to criticism. We see uh, from the uh, Times, um, New York Times, their criticism. Uh, they agreed with his policies, but they, uh, their only objection was that, hey, maybe we, you ought to go through the legislative process rather than executing all of these uh, executive orders to get to express uh, your will in what you want done. So I thought that was interesting. And they, and they reacted to that in a very negative way, the Biden administration. And it just goes to show how sensitive they are to 
to criticism. And we've all have to re- we all have to recognize that criticism is part of life. How are you going to grow? We can't see our own blind spots. We cannot recognize our own uh, in, uh, frailties and our own um, uh, inadequacies and where we're not as strong and so forth. Now, sometimes we can be introspective and we can do those things. And I, I'm totally in favor of those things. But uh, when you are, react to a criticism at, that you think is unfounded because your ideological bent then we've got a huge problem. Now, as we go on, the biased media favors, uh, favors Joe, uh, Joe Biden, and then they castigate anyone who is associated with former President Trump. And, you know, you have people who are, you know, President Biden, he's gotten into office, and uh, all of the appointed positions that the president di- does. Now, I realize this is pretty, pretty regular, but it almost seemed like it was a cleansing like it was a political cleansing. This was political retaliation. This was ideological, uh, moti- ideologically motivated uh, sackings and firings of these appointees and of these people that he has the opportunity to do that with. And it's like, well, that is not going to spur unity. Now, I, I agree. I mean, you, you, want some, you want people on your side to promote a vision, to promote uh, a direction that you want to do. But being vindictive and vengeful uh, in the process isn't going to help unity. Uh, In fact, it's going to drive a wedge um, and create disunity. And the very same things that you've accused President, former President Trump of doing, uh, you probably looks like what you're trying to do in the very near future. And I, and I will say a couple of things. Remember that just because Donald Trump has been a Republican for the last 15 years doesn't mean he was always a Republican. If you go back into the 80s and the 90s, Donald Trump was a diehard Democrat. And that's one thing the left needs to recognize, the Democrats need to realize, is that it's one of their own who's gone extreme. And uh, just because he was conservatively fiscal, pro-business, as opposed to most Democrats, that uh, that doesn't make him less of a Democrat just because his political affiliation for a purpose. He's very pragmatic in that way uh, towards uh, getting into the office of the president. He knew he could do it that way rather than through the Democratic, uh, the Democrat Party. With all that being said, uh, you know, I go back to the Bible when it talks about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, it talks about loving your neighbor um, and uh, loving your enemies. Um, you know, when we look at, it says, uh, you have knowledge that it was said, have love for your neighbor and hate for your enemy or, or hate for him who is against you. Well, that's human nature. But I say to you, have love for those who are against you and make prayer for those who are cruel to you so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For his son gives light to the evil and to the good. He sends rain on the upright man and on the sinner. For if you have love for those who have love for you, what credit is it to you? Do not the tax farmer, do not tax the, do not uh, the tax farmers the same. I have no idea what that what that tax farmers are supposed to be. Oh, the people who do the taxes, uh, the the publicans, the tax collectors. So this is from the basic uh, the Bible in basic English. So use a little bit more broke down uh, terms. 
And if you say good day to your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles the same? Be then complete in all righteousness, even as your Father in heaven is complete. Now, I will say I cannot expect uh, unregenerate uh, people who claim that they are Christians to to follow this, because I, when you look at the scriptures, the scriptures uh, are are really can only be fulfilled uh, perfectly by one person, that's Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, they can only be attempted to be filled because of the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of a true believer. And so I cannot expect unregenerate people, those who are religious uh, but yet unregenerate, uh, to be able to do this. But for those uh, who are the what we would call the uh, moral majority, many of those who would claim to be uh, true believers, this is something we have to do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, you for a long time, the right uh, has been very ungenerous, very unkind towards the left. Now they're get reaping some of that. But unless the left is willing to and I'd say this for both sides, unless you're both willing to swallow your pride and get rid of your, um, your, your desire to be with the upper hand, have a little bit of humility and try to forge some unity in, in the crucible of this difficult uh, time and place. Um, you know, when you go back to the book of Luke in chapter 36, verse 35, but be loving to those who are against you and do them good. Give them your money, not giving up hope, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for, it, for he, is the, he is kind to evil men and to those who have hard hearts. And so, you know, we have to put out hope and say, uh, you know what, you might have done something against me, but I'm not going to return that evil. I'm going to love you as my enemy, as a person across the aisle. I'm going to reach out. You know, it was sad to hear um, through various, um, what I, where I get my news updates from, daily news updates through NPR, that uh, there were people who would cut off relationships with people that they had had relationships for 20, 30 years, all because of a disagreement about over uh, President Trump all because of their ideological bents and perspectives. And it's like, we have got to get back to, you know, one of the things you'll hear a lot of people say is this. They'll say, well, uh, two things you can't talk about are politics and religion. And you know what? I, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, you know, those are the two very things we need to talk about. If we can't learn to talk about difficult things uh, without being triggered, then how do we expect to you know, grow as a person? How do we expect to convince others through persuasive arguments uh, of the rightness or wrongness? And the thing is, you can't be so bent that you, you know, I can be, so can, I can be as a Christian, I am convinced of certain things, but you know what? There's a limit to what things I am certain of. And I have to have allow, allow a certain amount of flexibility, even in my theological ideas, I'm always looking and saying, okay, how does this compare to what I believe the scriptures teach? And you know, many times I'm coming back to what the scriptures teach. doesn't mean I'm unkind to the different worldviews. doesn't mean I try to make an argument against those other ideological or theological perspectives. But ultimately, I have to be honest and saying, am I on the right path? 
Is this the right direction? And so we've got to have a certain kindness. We have to do unto others, treat them the way we want to be treated, and we have to love those who are our enemies. Now, what we would consider our enemies. You know, uh, one of the things in my obliquity um, magazine, which is on um, the Flipbook uh, on the Flipbook app, and if you go there, you should be able to look up Obliquity Magazine. And I have post article, I uh, find articles, and I post them relevant to our current discussion. And then by the next time, I will delete stuff and uh, you know move on into a new direction. But one of the things that was brought up was a an article, and I can't remember exactly who had that article, um, <clears throat> but there was an article that was brought up about. Um, about a Christian textbook, two, two Christian publishers, uh, Bob Jones University Press and uh, Abeka Books, uh, which is a Christian school um, uh, publisher in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And they were talking about how their, their versions of history were so off from reality and how it was slanting people. Well, you know what? I've read and, and I looked up and I looked up recently and I took pictures of it, uh, of uh, the parts of a, one of the textbooks, uh, a younger grade, uh, elementary grade um, textbook talking specifically about slavery and about trans, uh, transporting people from Africa to uh, North America. And you know what? It did not have a slant that was different, uh, at least substantively, from any other uh, book outside of Christian publishers, uh, what they would have. But I want to remind everyone that everyone has a bias. We're all going to have biases, right or wrong. It's all going to be have bias. So instead of castigating and ridiculing and trying to shame people, what about open and honest and genuine dialogue? What about honest conversation? What about uh, being able to disagree in an agreeable fashion? Doesn't mean you're going to agree with the person. It just means that you are going to disagree. And in your disagreements, you're going to be kind to the person. You're not going to be disingenuous. You're not going to uh, you're, you're not going to be derogatory towards them, but you're going to be kind and you're going to be uh, uh, generous in your speech towards others. You know, the whole capital riots has been a a source a source of contention between the riot, the Democrats and the Republicans. And you know, I would like to point out that all last year, or not all last year, but ever since George Floyd, so I think that was about March maybe March, April, uh, maybe April or uh, May, uh, when he was, uh, when he was, uh, when he was killed, murdered by that police officer, you know, uh, the, the left, and there are video clips you can look on YouTube and you can find, uh, uh, montages of, uh, Democrats and the left, uh, calling for riots to continue to happen. Um, for BLM or Antifa or anything like that. And I think it's very telling when the Democrats don't get what they want and then they'll blame a riot on President Trump, former President Trump. And yet, right after the presidential election, the, the, the inauguration, D.C. had Antifa and BLM riots and they had, what is it, 10,000 state uh, National Guard that were protecting the Capitol and they couldn't have called those in to break up these riots, the, the mayor of the city let it go. How is that equitable? And that's what points toward a politically motivated agenda. So in 1967, 
uh, particularly uh, the date, the specific date was April 4th of 1967. Martin Luther gave a speech that was titled The Other America at Stanford University. And you can find it on YouTube and you can find it on the Stanford archives, which I think is where I got it from. And um, I haven't been able to find a complete um, a complete uh, transcript of this speech, but I went ahead and transcri- uh, did the transcript for at least uh, this portion of the speech. And at the 22.55, uh, 22 uh, minute and 55 second mark, uh, timestamp, all the way to about 25 minutes, a little over 25 minutes, um, this, he, he had something that I think was very powerful to say. And he said, riots are socially, socially destructive and self-defeating. I am still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppressed people and their struggle for freedom and justice. He continues, I feel that violence will create more social problems than they will solve. That in a real sense, it is impracticable for the Negro to think of maintaining a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that there is, uh, that, uh, that this is not the way. And continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to be feel to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn the riots. I think America must not see that riots are uh, I I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must continue to be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. In the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What, it is, what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear the plight of the Negro poor. Now, in context, this was during the civil rights movement of the 60s. And so he's talking about the conditions, the social conditions, the the Jim Crow laws. He's talking about the segregation, forced segregation uh, in the South. He's talking about the lynchings of the uh, by the Ku Klux Klan. And he's talking about all these conditions and then uh, the barriers to uh, genuine to, to good work uh, for the Negro poor. And he said these things have got to stop. But at the same time, he is condemning the rioting. And you know what? You can have people who go out here and peacefully protest and can say, you know what? The police actions, the brutal police actions towards blacks and really towards any person, not just blacks or minorities, uh, is, needs to be condemned. And at the same time, cannot uh, and at the same time, they can condemn to uh, to, con- to condemn rioting. But you know what? When riots do happen, it happens to be the culmination of unheard of voices. Now, I think we're in a day and age now where people are too easily triggered. Their skin is too thin. uh, They're too easily set off. uh, And instead of using their inside voices and instead of using uh, nice words to try to talk to people, they're triggered and they are um, incensed. Uh, about things that instead of using a, the proper uh, the, the, the proper process 
of achieving uh, political change and social change. And so we all need to work towards, uh, you know, logical, thoughtful dialogue, engaging with people, disagreeing with people, but that's okay. We can, learn to, we can learn to disagree with people in an agreeable fashion. We need to love our enemies. Those people that we would say are our enemies, learning, uh, putting yourself into their shoes. Saying, Why do they believe what they believe? You know, um, people will bring up this idea of socialism uh, to, to, to Hispanic immigrants uh, who have come from uh, who have come from uh, places like Cuba or Venezuela, and they will totally sh- not listen to someone who is an American who brings up any concept of socialism. And so I think we have to be careful. We have to listen. Why are these people this way? Why do they have these thoughts, both the left and the right? And let's bring them to an understanding. Uh, let's try to us understand them first, but then try to, through logical thought and through discussion, be able to come to some sort of consensus about what needs to go on from there. Hey, I appreciate you joining me today for this uh, podcast. We're just about a two and a half minutes over schedule, but uh, it's been a while. It's been about a month since I, a little over a month, 15, uh, 20, uh, let's see, uh, about 25 days, I think. Um, no, but it'll be 35 days uh, or 34 days since our last uh, podcast, but we're going to try to get back on a regular schedule here, hopefully. Appreciate your time.